Hello and welcome to the 50th episode of The Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. My name is Nicky and I'm joined, as always, by the man who I don't have a funny intro for this mm. week. I just want to say it's been an absolute pleasure spending 50 episodes speaking about Scottish news and pop culture with him. It's Greg. How are you today, Greg? I'm very well. Right right back at you, obviously. Um, yeah. yeah. Good. Thanks. Good. I've been... Um, good. Uh, as well as it being our 50th episode sort of birthday this weekend, it's also been my... And it's also Paul McCartney's birthday. It was it was his birthday yesterday, the same day as oh. my daughter's. So she was quite pleased to find out that she shares a birthday with Sir Paul. But I think I was telling you, I had to drive them to the Dubai's theme park, Riverland, or Motion Gate, yesterday. So I had a load of kids. My, there was like seven kids. So my wife and I took two cars because we couldn't get all of them in one car. And I, m- my daughter was in my wife's car, so I had all these kids that I didn't know all that well. So there's about a million conversations going on all at once. And one of them mentions a song, and they said, oh yeah, that was on Jaws 2. I was watching Jaws 2 the other day, and I'm, think- and wow. I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't want to interrupt. Right? I'm very aware of the fact that my contribution isn't welcome. I'm just there <laughs> to drive them, right? So I don't say anything, but I'll think to myself, what's I don't remember like any songs, like any songs that you would remember of Jaws two. Do you know what I mean? There's obviously there's the there's the theme music, the Jaws theme music and stuff like that. So like they're talking about it back at oh yes, yeah, and then one of them starts singing the song, and it's um you know the song one more time, one more time, da, 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 that one. What by Daft Punk? Yeah, and I'm like that's not that's not in Jaws two. So like I I've, I have to interject <laughs> at this point, and I said, did you say that song was in Jaws two? And they were like, no. I said, what did you say? Trolls two. Ah. <laughs> I was like, oh, I thought you said Jaws two. And they're like, no. <laughs> So I just kept, I just kept myself, I oh. just kept myself to myself for the rest of the journey. Yeah, probably the safe. Yeah, yeah to be on the yeah. safe side. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised when you mentioned that Jaws too. Like it's a a deep cut for fourteen uh, year old girls to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, watching, but yeah, okay. There was, a, there was, a, there was actually two boys and two girls. So what? What? And one ah, of the okay. boys is from Aberdeen. I'm not going to say his name because I'm about to mug him off a bit here. But he was, <laughs> he was, um, he was sitting in the front with me, and uh, you know, he's. I think one of the girls in particular. I think he was quite keen on perhaps impressing. But he's talking about how when he's gone on roller coasters when he was younger, he's been he's burst into tears. And cried and all this kind of thing. And I'm thinking, when I was 14 and I was trying to impress girls, I wouldn't be talking about crying at roller coasters. And he was talking about how he cried. He cried during an episode of Stranger Things and all this kind of thing. And you know, and he's, you know, I mean, he's, it is obvious to anybody that's ever had their eye on somebody, regardless of whether it's male or female, whatever, that he that he fancies this girl, right? It's clear as it's clear to any, it's clear to my daughter that he fancies this girl. And I was thinking, kids are just not the same anymore <laughs> as they used to be. No, but then is is it a case of I would say maybe later on in life showing your emotional side mm. is very good and beneficial. Yeah. In fact, I was just earlier today I was telling my wife a story that I'd heard. And I, I kind of welled up as I was telling her this story. I'm 41. 41. Um, I, I had to think about that. Um, so that's fine. But a 14-year-old boy trying to impress a girl, you don't say stuff like that, do you? 
Well, I don't you know. try it, but is it? But nowadays, did they seem impressed that the fact that he'd cried at an episode of Stranger Things and everybody was laughing at everything everybody else said? So, and he was laughing as he told the story. So, I guess it's, I guess it's fine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? These days, you know, it's, it's obviously whenever you know when you see. I mean, you've probably you've probably experienced it with your nieces. You know, when they hit a certain age, you remember what it was like to be that age. You know what I mean? Although it's yeah. obviously different for uh, boys and girls when they, when they hit these these ages. So you know, I, you know, I'm I'm, I'm thinking to myself because you know he's a, he's a young guy. He's quite sporty. You can tell that he's sporty. You know what I mean? He's quite tall. He's almost you know he's he's, he's over my shoulder height. So that's quite tall for fourteen. I'm pretty tall, and uh, you know, hmm. good looking kid and all that. And uh, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about because the first time I met him, and I'm thinking to myself, you could have the pick of any of these girls apart from my daughter, obviously, or I'd have to fucking knock your cunt in. But <laughs> um, and yeah, but then he just he's he's telling me how much he likes Star Wars on the way down. He's what he's from Aberdeen, the boy. His mum's from his mum's from Dundee and his dad's from Glasgow. What we all want to know, Greg, is did he get a little kiss and a cuddle from the girl that he was interested in? Well, I, I don't know is the honest answer. Um, I haven't seen much of my daughter this morning because they were up until God knows what time last night. Um, but after the podcast, I'll ask her how uh, how how uh, what happened with her pals. Um, if there was any romance around the Motion Gate. Um, and I'll let you know in the next episode. There was any motion in the ocean. I'll look forward to hearing about that. Oh, lovely. Oh, teenage romance. Yeah. Next episode of the Swally, I want an update on this. Okay. I want to find out how this lad's getting on. Okay. This is our new pet project. Yeah. This could be our new Shangalang, which... Oh, yeah. When was the last time we had a Shangalang update? I don't know. It was probably at least six months ago. I really should have prepared a Shangalang yeah. update for the 50th episode. Just it didn't occur to me. It did cross my mind, yeah. but then I thought... Ah, do I force it? So maybe next episode we'll have a okay, Shangalang update. Sure. I'll need to actually check what the last episode we yeah. did a Shangalang update on. I think I, I, I think I mentioned I, I it on the on the respective Instagram post um, that I put out for the episode. So I'll have a, I can have a flip back and see. Uh, okay, I'll get a wee. We'll have a look. So shall we say that on the next episode yeah. we'll have a Shangalang update? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. We'll do <clears> that. Okay. Um, right. Well, shall we have a look at what's been going on in Scotland over the last week or so? Absolutely. For the 50th time, cue the jingle. Hello, this is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Okay, Greg, so what have you seen this week in Scotland that has caught your eye and you want to share with all of our listeners? Well, you know, I th- we've mentioned a couple of times in the last few episodes how there hasn't been a great deal of sort of swally-centric news. Because life's a bit serious, um, you know, at the minute, kind of late spring 2022. There's a lot of horrible shit going on. But for some whatever reason, this week, there seem to be loads of Swally-centric uh, stories. Um, <laughs> so it, I, I had six, and I've, I've whittled it down to two, and there were some tough decisions made. But my first one... Uh, comes from the Scottish Sun um, on the 8th of July. So it's a wee bit old, this one. The headline says, Thunder God, I'm a news agent. I keep a collection of weapons under the counter. Here's my top choice. So this is a news agent in Glasgow. Uh, TikTok star Yasser uh, Inayat, who posts videos under the username 
the silent shopkeeper, and is well known for sharing secrets about his time as a shop boss. His videos are hugely popular. There's a picture of him here with uh, Thor's hammer <laughs> standing in front of his st standing in front of his bottles of uh, Blue Wicked um, and Thunderbird. <laughs> <laughs> it says under the picture, it says more than year in case of emergency. Well, that's sorry, that's the kind of legend that he's got on the picture. Underneath it says it looks like the Thor hammer is his favourite, and then. On the next one, underneath the picture, it says he also has a bendy metal rod, <laughs> which looks <laughs> which looks like a kind of tent pole bent into an L shape. But anyway, it says it says this time he's touched on a more serious subject in this typical light-hearted fashion by showing off his secret armory. He joked that he has a wicket stick to scare off the kids, a bendy metal rod, and a seven-iron golf club so he can practice his swing. However. The most surprising item was Mothinger, the hammer of Thunder God Thor, which he said was there in case of emergencies. We previously told how Yasser had lifted the lid on the incredible lie he claims is constantly used by workers when dealing with demanding customers. In one video, he revealed that the lie that's used when customers ask him to check the back for a specific item. Inyat showed how he goes to the stockroom to appease them, even though he knows it's not there. Uh, he posted a short video in the popular social media app with the caption, Boss Man, hashtag TikTok Shopkeepers, hashtag Retail Life, hashtag Scotland. The video starts off with him standing in his shop. His text on the screen reads, I'll check in the back. I might have it in stock. It then shows him in the stockroom, messing around with a brush and killing time. And text on the screen says, me in the back, knowing I don't have that stock for weeks. Viewers were loving his honesty, and others with retail experience admitted that they were guilty of the same thing. One person said, as a student, I did retail work and I used to do this. I'd pretend to run up the stairs to the stockroom, wait a few minutes, and return. Uh, another added, I used to go into the back and sit down for two minutes and not check, <laughs> especially if the customer was rude. On a third row, I refused to go and check, especially if I did so for someone else earlier, with more laughing faces. So yeah, I like that one about uh, old Yasser there. It doesn't say whereabouts in Glasgow his newsagent is. I don't, I don't think they've bothered to do a great deal of research into the guy. I think they've just really looked at his uh, TikTok videos. But yeah, there's a picture of him there with his bendy metal rod and also holding more than your. That's a shame. I, I would quite, I'd quite like to go to this news agent <laughs> and, and meet Yasser. He sounds like fucking hilarious. The fact he's got Thor's hammer, <laughs> I, but only in case of emergencies, is just phenomenal. Like, what, what are you going to do with that? Like, it, it's not a the best thing I, I, I love the was it a bendy metal rod that he has as backup and a, a seven iron as well yeah that's fair enough like, most people would have like a baseball bat or a cricket bat or something <laughs> but he's got a bendy metal rod and a seven iron and thor's fucking hammer <laughs> like <laughs> that's incredible you know you'd expect like to have like maybe tj hooker's nightstick or something but, <laughs> fucking thor's hammer <laughs> Come out swinging it. Like, oh, Jesus. Nice, uh, legend. Nice relevant reference there for our younger listeners from Nikki. Go, <laughs> go and ask your dad who TJ Hooker was. Um, now, I can't imagine that Police Scotland would condone shopkeepers having a selection of weapons under the counter in case, you know, of emergencies. I wouldn't have thought so, no. <laughs> um, no, but then what's... Because is that not... We've covered stories before on this, Wally, that people have been arrested because they've had, like, a, a baseball bat or something in their yeah. car. And people are like, well, 
you're using that as a weapon. You're not off to go, where's your catchers, mate? That's what, I remember reading something about that and some gangster or someone in, in Scotland saying, if you're going to have a baseball bat in your house, always get a mitt as well. <laughs> Because then it looks like you are <laughs> properly playing baseball. Like, if you've just got a baseball bat, then you're obviously up to no yeah, good. It's, uh, it's, it's, but, especially if it's filled with cement, like the guy in Falkirk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, he could get away with that maybe by saying he was just a, a, a Marvel fan mm. and he's got Thor's hammer in his shop but, and, and the golf club for practicing his swing. I don't know how we'd get away with a bendy metal rod. I love the fact it's called a bendy metal <laughs> rod as well. Like, it's so descriptive. The, what excuse are you going to give for that? Oh, I use that for uh, unblocking the drains or something. <laughs> or when I go back to check. What is this story that he's saying that he goes back to check for stuff, but he doesn't actually know it's there or something? Like, so what's he doing? Practicing his swing? Just, when he yeah, goes he just goes to kill some time. I mean, I think he's been a bit gullible because I'm sure that while he's pretending to check the back, there's people in his shop probably filling their pockets with tonics wafers and cans iron brew and stuff. Bottles of Thunderbird. Bottles of Thunderbird and uh, raking through the top shelf for uh, shaving ravers or something <laughs> to um, go off and I just had, peruse. I, oh, I, I just had a nice image in my mind of Yasser, like sort of one afternoon and he's put, he's like putting out fresh rolls or something like that and some some guys come in and start fucking about and he sort of summons Molyneux from behind the counter like come, <laughs> comes flying through the shop like knocking stuff over <laughs> causing lots of damage <laughs> yeah. but at least he's got his hammer fucking hell yeah. what a legend oh yeah sir I, I really want to go and visit that I want to go in there to see his news agent and uh, just see him yeah. with his bendy metal fraud I'll put a I'll put a link to the his TikTok uh, videos up on on our um, on our Instagram page or and Twitter so everybody can have a wee look I'll look forward to looking at that thanks very much oh brilliant good lad so yep yeah, so that's the that's my first story this week uh, what's yours what you got for us okay uh, my first story is about a Scots woman um, this is sorry from the Daily Record this week um, Scots woman confused after finding eight Americans in her front garden garden waving through her window. So uh, this is uh, Lana Tolland, who um, was laying on her sofa in her Glasgow home on Wednesday night when she spotted eight people smiling through her window at her and waving at her. Uh, the strangers approached her window and said that the home had belonged to their great-grandparents. Uh, she explained in a now viral Twitter post how she was so confused when she saw the group walk through her garden to her house. She then took a picture uh, of them um, enjoying a late night stroll around her garden and shared details of the encounter. And there are uh, pictures of um, this, of these eight people wandering around her garden. It does look like, I don't know, it looks like something like a, a cocoon or something, <laughs> like just these eight confused American people wandering around the garden. Um, she said, no way, lying on the couch with a blind open and I see eight people I don't know at the garden waving at me. And I'm like, uh, I open the window and they're all American in caps. Like, it's the most bizarre thing. Why is an American in Glasgow? Um, and they're giving it, our great-grandparents used to own this house. Can we have a look around? I thought this only happened on telly. They're all getting pictures. Ducks are going mental. What is going on? Uh, so, someone replied, no, with, the, I think, 10 O's. Um, I'm deed. Ha, ha, ha. Honestly, I was so confused, man. Ha ha ha. Uh, others have also replied on the social media post um, and share their own similar experiences. One user tweeted, Nah, basically the same thing happened to me last week. 
I'm howling. Uh, another said, I was staying overnight in a house in Manchester once and the next day the doorbell rang. Two Canadian ladies said that they wanted to come in as uh, it was where the Bee Gees grew up and they asked where the blue plaque was. <laughs> I had to tell them that it was now rented out to a load of students. Um, a third wrote... <laughs> <laughs> a third wrote it happened to us in our cottage his father was born there um, a number of years later we dug up a war of independence civil era bomb that his father had made we had to call the army to blow it up <laughs> so, um, and that's the end of the story yes yeah, so this woman uh, just random Americans turning up in our garden they're like yeah great grandfather um, used to own this house where was the house like I presume it's a say? Um, it just says it just says Glasgow wow. it doesn't give like a distinct address yeah just Glasgow home right so like I'm sure it's not a new build or anything but from the photo it does look like a an oldish type neighbourhood like some of the, the houses that are in the background look like they've been there for a, a while like it's right, not right. like a, <laughs> a cumbernaut or anything like or like it's not like new flats yeah. in the middle of town um so it does look like it's been there for a while but yeah it just says glasgow doesn't give the the actual address okay. but for their great grandparents to own it i don't know it could be bullshit though like maybe they just were told much like we're going to be talking about later on you know when people are like yeah i'm from scotland like but you're not really from scotland are you? these american maybe grandparents have said yeah we're from scotland we used to own this house to give a, a distinct address then well, maybe maybe they were who knows yeah. don't know that's what i mean it's quite funny, isn't it, that they would just walk, like, you know, rather than trap the door, the first thing they think to do is go up and peer in the window <laughs> see if anybody's yeah. in. <laughs> Are you there? Oh, can you imagine that, though? You're lying on your sofa, <laughs> like, watching, I don't know, um, Take the High Road or something, and um, the all of a sudden... There's like eight Americans just peering through your window. <laughs> a video of Take the High Road bloopers. <laughs> I should have said River City to make it more current, sorry. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you'd be, that's a hell of a surprise. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just random people turning up at your door. Like, I don't think I would do that. Like, would you? Oh, like, no. I, I remember seeing a programme, it might have been um, Who Do You Think You Are? And it was Robert Llewellyn who played Crichton on Red Dwarf. Hmm. And yeah. he went with the production team to his old family house that I think that he essentially grew up in. And the owners let them in and he went to see the bedroom that he shared with his brother and all that sort of stuff. And I was, I remember thinking, you know, as somebody that owns the house, it's a bit, because it's like your house, right? It's your house. You've bought it or you're renting or whatever. You've made it home. But you'd always yeah. have the memory that, because like, if you buy a second hand, if you buy like, if you buy a house, they should buy a brand new house. The chances are people have lived in it before you've lived in it. Um, but you sort of, <laughs> But you yeah. sort of, you know, but you don't like, you don't really think about it. But if somebody famous comes to your door and says, oh, I used to live here. I don't know. I feel like that would just sort of take away a little a little part of the feeling of ownership. Because you're always going to be like, oh, hmm. I live in Crichton's old house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Especially if it's someone like Robert yeah. Llewellyn. No offence to him, but yeah, you're Crichton. You're like, fuck, could it not have been Craig Charles? Or even Chris <laughs> I Barry? Like... I, I, maybe Danny John Jules yeah. even? Like, but... Is, is Robert Llewellyn the best? Like, you're kind of wanting to, you're wanting to have Paul McCartney turn up at your yeah, house. Yeah. Or could you imagine if it was like James Corden or something? You'd be like, oh, I'd, I would sell the house literally the next well, they, day if it turned out I was living in like James Corden's old house. Did you ever see the carpool karaoke that uh, when James... I don't, I don't watch anything that James Corden's in. I can't stand the fact. I can't stand them either. But I saw it. Um, I think this might have been the thing that really 
that really put me off him once and for all. But he was driving around Liverpool with Paul McCartney, um, doing carpool karaoke, and they went to Paul McCartney's old house. And uh, then obviously the owner, Robert Llewellyn, was there. <laughs> Robert Llewellyn was there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the owner obviously knew that Paul McCartney had lived there. It wasn't like a shock. I think the owner had lived there for like 30 or 40 years. But like, so like they, they, they let them in and you can tell that Paul McCartney's thinking, why the fuck am I doing this? Why am I humouring this excitable fucking rotund arsehole? But you know, he's... <laughs> I never should have married fucking that Heather. She took half my money and now I'm having to do this having to having fucking heather bills <laughs> um yeah so so they paul had a quick look around the kitchen and it's like oh oh yeah i remember we used to have a thing over here and something over there and blah 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 oh yeah james corden's like oh wow, this is amazing this is amazing i'm thinking is it <laughs> no because is it amazing <laughs> james i'm not sure it is amazing you know it's mi- <laughs> mildly interesting perhaps but it's definitely not amazing <laughs> Oh dear. Oh yeah, I used to live here, yeah. There used to be a news agent around the corner that had a, a bendy metal rod under the uh, the desk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the owner had this like ancient like Norse weapon that he could summon from anywhere in his shop. <laughs> oh dear. Uh okay, Greg. So uh what else have you seen this week uh in Scotland? Okay, well look I wasn't gonna do this one because because I I know that we've had a lot of stories like this, but it's 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 sort of quite on brand for the podcast. Although we never set out to find like ten news stories about guys wanking in their cars, we just <laughs> when we when we had this idea to do the podcast and to do some local news before the review. But for whatever reason, there just seems to be a bit of a, a bit. It seems to be a, bit of a sort of fashionable thing to do in, in Scotland. So the head again, as as you may expect, it comes from the Scottish Sun on the eleventh of June. Um, video nasty Scots kilt shop launch probe after van driver film performing sex act to himself in front of shocked onlookers. The footage was captured by a shocked couple in Aberdeen as the driver was parked outside their home. The clip appeared to show the driver performing a sex act on himself. It is understood the driver was delivering kilts around the city at the time video was taken. Hopefully he had delivered all the kilts. He was seen parked in the van at the side of the road. McCall's Highland Wear, the company whose van appeared to be seen in the footage, have since launched a probe into the video. When asked about the clip, the shop said they are currently investigating the situation and are aware of the video. McCall's Highland Wear has yet to issue a comment though. As the driver was filmed, the woman filming the video could be heard saying, that's so inappropriate. Now, I used to live in Aberdeen, right? And I used to live in Scotland. That's quite... As a first response thing to say to seeing somebody wanking in a van outside your house, that's so inappropriate feels a little... Like, a little low. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, a bit like a low ball in it. I can't imagine... I can't, I can't imagine that would be the first thing that uh, the people I know would say if they saw that. Um, the disgusted couple who filmed the driver opened the window to confront him and shouted at the man asking, What are you doing? After realised he was being watched... The van driver turned his engine on and drove off. The pair were left stunned at the end of the video. One of the onlookers said after the incident, I hope he washed his hands before he dropped the rest of the kilts off. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's the, that's the whole story. Um, short, short, I won't say sweet, but certainly short. Now, you did, somebody sent this video to you without you asking, and you, <laughs> and you shared it with me. <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I only I only like, watched it for a, a short time, but I don't. It's not a long yeah. clip. 
<laughs> I can't imagine that the investigation will take too long for McCall's to carry out. It's a fairly cut and dried case. Well, I, I wasn't quite sure because obviously it's a McCall's van, so I knew it was yeah. a Aberdeen shop. But the the accents sound like more Dundonian. Right. Like, so I wondered if it was filmed in Aberdeen. And of course, you can't really see where it is. It's just like in a little mm-hmm. lane. Um, yeah, so I wasn't sure where it was, but it, it, if it says in the the news article it was filmed in Aberdeen, then fair play. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I completely agree with you. The the woman that's so inappropriate. Like you wouldn't say that though. Who says that? You'd be like, look at that fucking manky cunt. He's having a fucking wank. Like you would say that. You don't be like, oh, that is so inappropriate to be wanking in your van outside our house like say something say something yeah. and uh, fair play the guy opens the window and, Oi! <laughs> and the guy's like, like oh fuck like, and i love it he puts his phone away because he's obviously been looking at porn on his phone and like, like he tucks up puts his phone away and then drives off like oh poor guy he's just having a wank like in his, his van i mean yeah very inappropriate and you don't do that like right in the eyeline of a window <laughs> Surely, if, if you're in Aberdeen, you would drive down like the beach or something or the harbour. Like, if, if you were if you were that desperate for a wank, like I mean, we've covered this in the Swally before. That guy that had um, taken a Viagra. Oh yeah, and he, it was that like, was in was Aberdeen in pain, as well. Wasn't so he it? had to wank. It was. It was, yeah, it was in Aberdeen. <laughs> it was. Yeah. I think it was in a supermarket car it was, park. Yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. It? Um, like so, you, you do that. You don't drive like right outside somebody's window and have a wank like surely that's yeah but here fair play McCall's have got a good bit of publicity out of this yeah I know I think whoever coined the phrase there's no such thing as bad publicity maybe didn't own a clothing rental business (laughs) and um, and have an employee who was caught masturbating in public whilst delivering said clothing but then you could just imagine this weekend, like it's the, obviously like Saturday's probably their busiest yep. day. Think how many people have gone into that shop at, at the weekend yeah. and have asked about the wanking driver. Yeah, yeah. Like, do you know the guy that was in the van wanking? <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. I bet the shop staff were loving it. Like, <laughs> like just, just, it's, I wonder if he's been fired. Or... I would imagine so. I mean, it's the beginning of wedding season, isn't it? So That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> wedding season will be cranking up. If you'll forgive the unintentional pun there. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to think. Now, McCall's, I think, are the ones on School Hill, right? At the top in the corner of... No. Uh, No, McCall's is on Bridge Street. Yes, that's right. That's right. That's where I've... um that's where I got my kilt from, McCall's. Right. Um, yeah. All right. Did you go and collect it yourself or did yeah. somebody drop it off? <laughs> no, I collected it myself. It was my um, it was my 21st birthday present, right. my mum. Um, yeah, my kilt. Um, so, uh, no, I collected it myself. I didn't get it dropped yeah. off. Well, very wise. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was to be on the safe yeah. side, yeah. Because I knew 20 years later there'd be a guy wanking in a van. I mean, who's to say that's the first time, you know? <laughs> Uh, no, I think the one on School Hill, uh, that was, I think that was Alexander Scott's. That's no longer there, though. Mm. We, because um, we walked past it the um, couple of weeks ago. Oh, right. And it's, um, yeah, it's no longer mm. there. Because that's where I thought I might go and get my um, my hat. But um, they were uh, they were shut. No longer there, unfortunately. So I suppose maybe, maybe Aberdeen's not that flush for uh, Highland Wear rental companies. So 
Well, I guess because they're all wanking in vans, so <laughs> I guess it's, uh, that's why. It's a sad demise, but uh, what to do? Yep. Well, we won't linger. I feel like we've done the whole wanking in a car thing to death, so maybe that'll be the last one for quite a okay. while. Yeah. Until next until week when we see a story. <laughs> I'm trying to think, because had, we had the one you mentioned earlier about the guy getting busted in the Aldi car park in Old Meldrum. We had the one about the guy uh-huh. who was watching a lady in Edinburgh taking her messages out of the car and couldn't, <laughs> couldn't, could not say, but forgotten about that. he tried to say he was trying to swat a bee or something like that. Yes, he was. <laughs> and we had the, we had the naked guy, well, naked lorry driver on the Livingston Road, just by the side of the road, kind of banging one out. There's probably more that I can't, that I've just forgotten. Just speaking about transport wanking, because we also had the picture. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Um, I don't know if we include, if if you're just including wanking as a whole, (laughs) or if it's just um, transport related wanking, then I think we had another one as well, I'm sure. There was one more. I'm positive. I don't know. I need to look back, yeah. but I'm sure there was another wanker we've had um, <laughs> on the podcast. But um, yeah, that's uh, yeah, a bit of a trope. So yeah, probably until uh, we'll, we'll leave it for a couple of weeks. Because yeah. actually, I did say maybe about 10 episodes ago, I did say I was on a wanking band <laughs> because I, I think it was like three episodes in a row that I had a story about a wanker. Yeah. So um, yeah, we need to, we need to stop. We do. That, so. I mean, we, we might have enough for a special episode <clears throat> if we want to take like a week off. You could just like, edit together all the wanking stories. <laughs> <laughs> we certainly could actually. Oh, a little, little place filler. A wanking special. Yeah. Yeah. I, I won't do a best of the news this year. I'll do a wanking special <laughs> instead. Could open ourselves up to a whole new market <laughs> anyway oh, all right well that was my second story what's your what's your next story this week i've got a wonderful story greg that sort of encapsulates um it, it gives actually scotland a bit of a bad name right. like that we are often known as a nation for being kind of tight mm. And I, I don't think we are as a, as a nation, really. But however, this gentleman is not doing us any favours. Um, so he is a gentleman called Kevin Sherwin. And this is from the Scottish Sun today. He is Scotland's biggest Eurovision fan. And he is saying this is why we should host it next year because it makes sense. Uh, so this is Scotland's Eurovision superfan is launching a campaign to have this show staged in his home city so he doesn't have to pay to travel. His life revolves around the glitzy song contest since he first attended in 1994. Every year, Kevin books up to go to the host city and he says he has splashed out at least £51,000. That's a very kind of accurate number. Um, <laughs> clocking up around 40,000 miles. That's not bad, Kevin. It's like just over a pound, what, pound 10 yeah, a mile? Right. That's okay. Uh, but now the BBC are in talks to stage the event in the UK next year because obviously Ukraine, they're not able to host yeah. it because of current situation. So because the UK came second this year, the UK is going to host it probably. So the BBC are in talks to stage it in the UK and he believes that Aberdeen is the perfect venue for the event. Kevin, 61, reckons the Queen could even host attendees at Balmoral and they could sup world-class whiskey from local (laughs) distilleries. But he also said, this could save me at least £2,000. The real reason. (laughs) I I love the thought of not having to go anywhere for a change. It would be my dream come true. So this is the start of my one-man campaign. I'd love to have some sort of official role, so I'm putting myself forward as an ambassador for Aberdeen. 
It's thought that Glasgow is the hot favourite to host Eurovision at the Hydro wow. in 2023. Okay. But taxi driver Kevin believes there's only a handful of cities that could be in the running. He thinks that only Manchester, Aberdeen and Glasgow have venues big enough and uh, a space in the calendar to give organisers the six weeks they need to set up. Kevin said, why shouldn't it come to Aberdeen? We've got Scotland's biggest indoor arena. Is that, do you think that's right? Uh, the P&G, we went to that. Like, do you think that is the biggest indoor arena? In it's Scotland? not bigger than the Hydro. I thought it, it's not, yeah. is it? No. Um, we've got Scotland's biggest indoor arena and loads of hotels within walking distance. I didn't see many hotels within walking distance there. We have the infrastructure. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> and everything that goes with it. It's something I've joked about before but it could really happen. Kevin believes that the Queen's summer home would be the perfect place for the launch night. He said, everyone from all over Europe would love to go to Balmoral. It would be out of this world. Someone needs to get in touch with the Queen and get this sorted. Well, Kevin, you, you put yourself as forward as the ambassador. Why don't you get in touch with her? Um, Kevin has been to 15 capital cities and he has met stars, including Graham Norton and Terry Wogan. Wow. He has told how his calendar runs from May to May because his year starts when the show ends. Um, his visit to Turin was the 23rd Eurovision he has been to, and he said he might retire if it comes to Aberdeen. He said it, it would be the perfect swan song for me. I don't think it would get any better. <laughs> but it'll never happen again in my lifetime, so it's probably the ideal time to bow out. But when I say that every year, I get caught up in it all again. <laughs> So who knows? Well, Kevin, good luck to you. I hope it does come to Aberdeen. It'd be amazing if it came to Aberdeen, but let's face it, it's going to go to Glasgow if it goes to well, anywhere in the UK, I would think. I've just fact-checked Kevin's statement, and the P&J Live is indeed the biggest indoor arena in Scotland. Uh, wow. And I mean, it, it, it's massive. Like, it is big. I mean, we were there a few weeks yeah. ago, and it is big, but I, I would have thought, as you said, the Hydro nope. would have been it's, bigger. Uh, it's uh, Scotland. It's, sorry, it's, P, it's the P&J Live's biggest one in Scotland. Scotland. It's the fifth biggest in the UK. Um, so, so Kevin's talking shite when he says there's only three places in the UK big enough to host that. So, because he said Manchester, Glasgow, and Aberdeen. Well, he's, he's forgetting the O2. So, the Manchester Arena is the biggest one in the UK. It holds twenty one thousand people. The O2 Arena is the second biggest, only just it holds twenty thousand. Then Arena Birmingham, which is in Birmingham, you'll be shocked to know, is the third biggest, and then the Resorts World Arena in Birmingham is the fourth. Then it's the P&J Live in Aberdeen. Then it's the first direct arena in Leeds. So the Hydro is not even in the top five. So Kevin's correct. Wow, I'm really... I'm really shocked at that. Like the the the, the P and J is the the biggest kind of capacity in Scotland. Yeah. That's that's good to know. Like and obviously in terms of indoor arena. Yeah. Obviously, if you're having outdoor, obviously you've got Hamden and mm -hmm. um, Murrayfield and I mean Ibrox. Did you see? We didn't cover it on the news. Did you see the guy taking a fucking fall yeah, from the top deck at Ibrox at the Harry Styles concert? <laughs> That was a fair play. Thankfully, he's alive and he's okay, but Jesus. I think a woman broke his fall by the sounds of things, else it could have been a lot worse. Because I did read a story about a lady who was there with her daughter, who he landed on. Uh, he landed on the lady. Luckily, her daughter was a nurse and she was able, she gave him CPR and, and sorted him out. Jesus. Uh, and he was, like, he, was, he, was, he was out of hospital the next day. He was all right, but... Uh, I, I, it's incredible, mm. yeah. Like, and that's a when you see the footage of him just dropping, you're like, "Holy shit!" Like, that's a, a fair fall. Like, how how does that happen? Like, <laughs> well, bizarre. I don't want to. I don't want to get on the conjecture to get on the conjecture <laughs> bus, but um, I, I imagine that he probably had quite a lot to drink. <laughs> that was how he fell. And 
And I think probably, thankfully, he did. Because if he'd been sober and taken that fall, yeah. he probably would have died. But because he was probably pissed, he that's probably why he's still alive. Well, yeah. Like Because his body would have been loose like, type thing. But yeah, obviously we're getting off the, the, the topic of that. But yeah, um, fair play. I, hopefully you're all fine, mate. Um, yeah, I, I'm shocked. P&J is the biggest, the biggest yeah. indoor arena in Scotland. Yeah. Wow. Fair play. I mean, we had a taxi driver in Aberdeen that was saying that it's been one of the best things to happen to the city. Like yeah, attracting big name acts and big bands like are now coming to Aberdeen because the the place is so big mm-hmm. like well you never know maybe maybe the, the this guy's Eurovision dream will be realized and and they will come and do the show there perhaps possibly yeah I think it's going to go to the hydro class <laughs> or the Manchester you know um <laughs> Or Manchester. No, I, I think there is a... I have seen like quite a big um, swell of it saying that it, it should be in Scotland. And I think rightly so. Um, but I think it would have to go to Glasgow rather than Aberdeen. You're not going to have it, Aberdeen. It, it has to be Glasgow. I mean, ideally it would be Edinburgh, but there's not anywhere there and to host it, really. So Not, um, not indoor. I think it's nah, It's going to be Glasgow. Surely. So maybe next year you guys will be able to download a Culture Swally Eurovision special. <laughs> if it does. Yeah, we could yeah. actually, yeah. I mean, well, well, well we've got quite a, a rich history. I mean, we've got Lulu, yeah. um, uh, uh, Sandy Shaw. She was Scottish, wasn't she? Um, was she? No. I think she was. No, Lulu and Sandy Shaw. Got no, she's Sandy Shaw's English. Some other. She's English. Oh, she's yeah. English. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah. well, we've got Lulu. We've got Lulu. We'll always have Lulu. That's all we need. <laughs> That's all we need. It's just Lulu. <laughs> she's enough for anybody. Okay. Uh, anything else that you've seen this week um, in the news? Or no, does that cover just the, the news for this I've just, week? I've got that. I've got a story about um, a lady flying from Glasgow to Edinburgh to Dublin, I beg your pardon, and with Aer Lingus and they lost her luggage and when she um, brought this to the attention of the Aer Lingus team in Dublin airport they advised her to go to Primark <laughs> um, but luckily she's uh, they've agreed to pay her the £1,600 that she, value of the clothing that was lost so it worked out well could you imagine that? You'd be fucking raging if you're like, I've lost my luggage. And they're like, well, go to Primark. <laughs> like, you'd be like, are you, are you kidding me? Are you taking a piss? <laughs> and and come on, £1,600 in her luggage, yeah. really, really. <laughs> I think she's fiddling the insurance there, I think. <laughs> You've got to think that. There's no way she had that much in her bloody luggage. But that's a shame. <laughs> There'd be, yeah, nothing more infuriating than losing your case. Okay, uh, right. Uh, before we have a look at what we're going to be talking about today, let's have a little word from our sponsors. So what if a man drills for oil and does it all on his jack? I'm just popping down to the ocean bed and then I'm coming back. lubrication you have to do something more it's the man who comes up with tartan special that's who i'm rooting for support your local hero and his youngers tartan special okay so it's our as i mentioned at the start of the podcast it's our 50th episode we've got something very special or we think is very special to discuss uh, on today's podcast so nikki do you want to introduce 
Yeah, Greg. Well, it, as you say, 50th episode. So we thought we we were going to do this earlier, but then we decided to save it for the 50th because what we're going to talk about today is probably what is often regarded as one of the best Scottish films of all time um, and one of the best British films of all time. Um, so written, directed by Bill Forsyth. It's 1983's comedy kind of drama, Local Hero, starring Peter Regert, Dennis Lawson, Fulton Mackay, and Peter Capaldi, and of course, Bart Lancaster, making his probably only appearance on The Culture Smelly. <laughs> um, it tells the story of an American oil executive who is sent to the village of Furness to purchase the town and surrounding property for its company who want to turn it into an oil refinery. Filmed entirely on location in Scotland and in Texas as well, and featuring an amazing soundtrack by Mark Knopfler uh, of Dire Straits fame. Uh, Local Hero is the third Bill Forsyth film that we have featured on this valley. But Greg, what are your memories and thoughts of Local Hero? Because obviously this isn't the first time you've watched Local Hero, is it? No, it's not. But I I knew the soundtrack to Local Hero really well before I ever saw the film because my stepfather was a big fan of the soundtrack and he used to play it in the car a lot. So like I knew of the film, but I, I, I didn't see it until I was maybe... <sighs> 16 or 17 I think it was it was on a TV mm. one night um and uh it's probably the same night I watched it <laughs> yeah, I bet probably I mean it <laughs> feels like it was on like one Sunday night and I think BBC2 used to yeah. used to show like some classic uh, movies on a Sunday night uh, back in the kind of mid 90s early 90s so yeah I think that's the first time I saw it and to be honest I've seen it a few times since I hadn't watched it for I don't know it could be 15 years or more when I came to watch it to do the episode today and it was really like coming to it brand new there was there's so much nuance and subtlety in it that I never ever picked up on before um from what you know uh, watching it now as an adult and obviously taking a, a kind of more critical approach and watching it as well but it's just it's such a fantastic fantastic film I think I'd have been about the same I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if we watched it around about the same time because I think I was about 13 14 when I first saw it and it was because it was on BBC like late one Sunday night mm-hmm. Exactly as you described, and I watched it, and I I enjoyed the film, but I don't think I appreciated it for what it was yeah. at the time. And and I've watched it quite a few times as I've gotten older. But similar to yourself, I think it must be about fifteen, maybe sixteen years since I've watched it before watching it for the Swally. It's almost difficult to describe this film because I messaged you after I watched it, and I said to you, "Just watch Local Hero." I feel all warm and fuzzy. Mm inside like it just and and watching this film it it's i i cannot put my finger on why it is such a special and spectacular film but it just is like it just leaves you with this feeling of just yeah. beautiful emotion and it's just such a beautiful well-made film and nothing happens in it <laughs> really it's about a guy going to scotland and visiting this village yeah. and he goes home but it's just this beautiful film and it's impossible i was trying to uh, describe this to my wife because i was saying to her we should watch it together and she said well what's that about and i'm like well i don't know really like it's about this guy that just goes to this town in scotland and yeah then leaves like but it's just it, oh, it's just such a beautiful, heavy film, but it's so funny 
in a way as well. But as you say, it's the little nuances that just make it. Mm. And it's just a, 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 it's just a spectacular film. It's so special. I mean, I think because like there's not, there's no. If if you think of all the antagonists, there's no sort of heroes or villains in it. Like even even the oil company, who I suppose, if you wanted to look at it in a sort of traditional way, would be the kind of villains because they want to buy this this scenic, beautiful part of Scotland and build like a hideous big oil refinery there. But then you have the people in the village who kind of want it to happen because they're gonna. Because they're going to get all this money. So, you know, you've got Burt Lancaster as a happer, who is the head of the oil company. And then Peter Rydard as Mac, who has been sent out because he because he sounds a bit Scottish. His surname sounds a bit Scottish. He's been picked to go and negotiate and, and, and sort the deal out. But there's nothing villainous about them. They're, they, they're two nice guys. Even, even Lancaster, you know, who, you know, he's kind of going for it in some scenes. He's, you know, he's, his character isn't, a, he's not a villainous character. You know, they, you, you sort of see it coming when he comes to uh, the village and he comes to Furness. You know, I remember watching it and thinking he's going to have his head turned as well in the same way that Max had his head mm. turned. And of course he does. Um, and then, you yeah. know, you've got Ricky Fulton and um, Alex Norton playing the, the sort of scientists who are designing it. And there's nothing villainous about them either. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> it's just a lot of nice people uh, in, in in this in this story. That and it, You know, like it's, it's sort of the perfect film because like no one dies in it. Nobody, nobody gets punched in it. <laughs> You know what I mean? Nothing bad happens to anybody in it, apart from maybe Trudy the Rabbit. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? I've, it's just yeah. But no, it's you're right. It's a what I I put in my notes is like it's almost it's like a family film mm. because there's no violence, there's no nudity, there's hardly a swear word. I think there's like two swear words in the yeah. whole film, and one of them is bugger. Which is hardly. It's such a gentle film, but it's not really a family film because kids mm. would probably find this quite boring. And as you say, the only horrible bit is, yeah, Trudy the Rabbit. Like, and I, I <laughs> couldn't believe that watching this. Time. I'd forgotten about that. It's just so nonchalant. Yeah. Like, yeah, we cut the rabbit. And I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> it's unbelievable. He's like, yeah, but his leg's broken. You can see from the bones. <laughs> It's so matter of fact the way Stella's like consoles him, like, yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, are oh, you upset? Yeah, no, we cooked it in a, a slow broth yeah. for two hours. <laughs> like, wine. <laughs> but it's it's just it just happens and it's so just matter of fact, but it kind of just works in the film. But yeah, I was horrified when um when it happened. You're right though, it, it does kind of it just this small town just kind of takes everyone in. Like genuinely, when I watched this this week i actually put in my notes i was like this is just like a, a comedic version of the wicker man like it's uh yeah. but do you know what i mean like it is though like when you know when he goes to the shop to buy the dry shampoo and yeah, stuff yeah. it's just like it, it's like the wicker man but not um you know it doesn't have a, a bad ending yeah he doesn't end up with him being burned in a wicker man i mean it does have a bad ending because he ends up back in houston but you know um, and we'll come on to the ending later um because that's um something that was a bit ambiguous but yeah it's kind of like the wicker man like he he just gets sucked into this place in this town but he but everyone's just so lovely and nice like even you know the guy painting the his boat it's just everyone it it's you know and do you want me to paint the phone box a different color for you like it's just you know because he's obviously the only person in the whole town that uses the phone box like it's oh it's just such a gentle film 
And as you said, it's there's no bad person. Like, it's such a nice twist that you have the, the evil oil company want to buy this village. But all the villagers are fucking <laughs> desperate yeah. to, to sell. And even the priest, did you notice the um, the priest? Oh, That's um, yeah. Malcolm from <laughs> Desmond's. You know, even he's like, and it's such a nice little twist that he's like, you know, yeah. from Nigeria um, or uh, I can't remember um, what it was, but, you know, um, but he has a Scottish surname as well, same as Mac and um, jokes bite it. But yeah, he's just, um, that the whole town is desperate to sell the village and make their millions and they're all planning whether they're going to buy a Maserati or a Rolls Royce. <laughs> I like how, because like, in a lot of ways, you know, the story is a bit of a... It's, like it, if, when I was thinking about it at first, I was thinking, well, you know, it's sort of like a critical kind of comment on capitalism. And obviously, like, at that point in the 80s, especially in the UK and in, like, Wall Street, Reagan, like, you've got Reaganomics in the US, you've got Thatcher in the UK, this kind of yuppie culture and everything. And when you see Mac in his... Uh, apartment in uh, Houston. He obviously lives in a an amazing apartment for the time. You know what I mean? He's got his rechargeable briefcase and all, all this kind of stuff. You know, you sort of think, well, it's sort of like a bit of a you know. They, and then you have Max's journey coming from Houston and falling in love with this quite simple way of life that the villagers have on the coast. You know, the, there's that great scene after the Cayley with uh, him and uh, Dennis Lawson plays Urquhart and he's trying you know he's sort of drunkenly trying to talk uh, Urquhart into swapping lives with him because he's just he's been completely seduced by the town and the way of life at that yeah. point and he's like I'll, I'll stay here and run the pub and you can go to Houston um, but you know it's it, it, it's not really uh, like a, a, a massive th- sort of damning statement on capitalism because like you said before all the villagers want to make money as well so even though they <laughs> even, even though they have this sort of idyllic like sort of nice gentle life by the sea you know they the thought of having a million pounds in the bank and driving a maserati very much motivates them even the old ones like gideon the uh, the the boat painter and all, mm. all that kind of thing um you know, and it's just what staggers me a little bit about Local Hero is it's Bill Forsyth's third movie. So he does he he goes from making that sinking feeling with a company of amateur, completely unknown youth actors that he's basically found on the streets of Glasgow to doing Gregory's Girl with much of the same cast as that sinking feeling to then directing Burt Lancaster and Peter Capaldi, although maybe not, I think I think Peter Capaldi said it was his first film, um, but Peter, P- Peter Reinhardt, who is an accomplished actor, and Dennis Lawson and all these other guys, and he's making a studio film, and yet mm. all the unmistakable uh, kind of nuances of a Bill Forsyth mm-hmm. film yeah. are there. You know what I mean? He's he, he's not sort of changed his approach or changed how he writes or anything for the fact he's making this big Hollywood film for David Putnam, who had just done, very famous producer, had just done Chariots of mm-hmm. Fire. And he, all the things that I know that you and I, and certainly others who are big fans of Forsyth's work, all those little things are there, all those little throwaway little lines and little surreal moments and <laughs> you know what I mean it's just but it's it's the little things as you mentioned it's like um Ricky on the motorbike and I mean that was George yeah. Gordon Sinclair genuinely riding yeah. that bike 
every time. And it's it's funny the first couple of times you see him, and then every time they step out of somewhere, you're waiting for Ricky to come <laughs> yeah. bombing past. Like because you know what's gonna happen. It's like the as you said, it's like the rabbit in Gregory's girl, yeah. or some of the little nuances in yeah. Comfort and Joy. And and that's what makes a Bill Forsyth film. And it was so pleasing because I I I don't know if you watched um the the link I sent you, the film connections it, yeah. thing. And they had, yeah, John Gordon Sinclair, and he said, I think like bill maybe felt sorry for me like because he didn't pay me much for <laughs> yeah. gregory's girl so he was like do you want to come up for the summer and just ride a motorbike around and, the drums. you know just be in a few <laughs> scenes but it's such a, a big reveal like and genuinely just see ricky on the motorbike yeah and then all of a sudden you see him playing the drums and you're like oh, that's john gordon sinclair oh it's ricky oh he's the guy on the bike like because he's always got his helmet on so you yeah, never yeah. know it's him until and it's such a, a big reveal and he's got what like two lines when he's speaking to the punk girl who yeah, is in Polly. love with um danny um like, it's it's such a beautiful reveal and so subtle but that is what bill forsyth does so well yeah. and yeah it's it's beautifully done um in terms of that it's, it, you're right it's just all those nuances and just little subtle touches. And as you say, this was his third film and mm-hmm. probably, I think, his best. I mean, like... Oh, it's unquestionably his best As one. much as I love Gregory's Girl and Comfort and Joy, Local Hero would be the, yeah. the film that, I, I hate to say it, but, you know, when Bill Forsyth dies, that'll be the the film that is mentioned, you know, mm-hmm. local hero director. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. same as Ivan Reitman when he died, it was Ghostbusters director. Yep. You know, he made a lot of good films, but local hero will be what Bill Forsyth is remembered for. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think, you know, I think he, you know, he did comfort and joy like the very next year. And then after mm. that, went off to Hollywood and did a few films there. So he did, um, anyway, he did a film called Being Human, which I think has got uh, Robin Williams in it. And he maybe did one maybe two more films, but I don't think his experiences there were very good, you know? Um, No. And, you know, since he's come back, I think he's only really done the Gregory's Girl sequel, which is, it's not very good. And it's, you know, there's a couple of questions, you know, I I don't think it, you know, perhaps naive sort of storylines in it about a teacher obsessing over one of his pupils, which isn't usually something that makes very good comedy. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No. (laughs) Especially not yeah. now. No, no, yeah. definitely not. So, so yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, this is definitely, it's definitely his, this, this, his, his apex for sure. And like, there's just so many, you know, like one, <laughs> one scene that for some reason just strikes me as being like archetypal Forsyth is when Reidhart's talking to all the guys at Gideon's boat and there's a baby crying and he says, um, he says, oh, who? <laughs> Whose baby is it? And everybody, even like from the oldest guys, you know, Jonathan Watson's there in a, you know, in a sort of small role, and they're all looking at each other, and nobody wants to hold up to it. Exactly, as you say, that is one of the scenes that I would say is just typical Bill Forsyth, just a random, and that's the whole point. This film, it's nearly two hours long, but it it feels perfectly paced, but it's filled with like random scenes like that. For example, the baby or the the scene where they're sat, they're waiting for Ben to make his decision and it cuts to them in the, the tea room, at, uh, well, in the, the lunch room of the, the hotel and they're listening to the music and he's like, I've never liked this music. So like, why did you, why did you never mention this <laughs> yeah. before? Gordon, can this music be turned off? Oh yeah. Don't you like this? No. You mean you never liked it? No. So even when you first came here, you didn't like this? No. Well, 
Like it, it's such a random scene, but it just works so well. Like it just, it's just cut in there. And then when you have even Ben having his his feed, and you've got Peter Capaldi, Danny, like serving, and like, do you want some roast potatoes? Yeah, yeah, more roast potatoes, some Brussels sprouts as well. It just, it's so fucking random, but it just works. It's so funny. I love um, De- Dennis Lawson in this. Although I think his certainly like the first sort of half of the film is brilliant. You know, he's fantastic, and he's he's no less fantastic in the second half. But we don't see quite as much of him in the second half because the the focus shifts a little bit. You know, when when we meet more, we get a bit we get a bit more Fulton Mackay and a bit yeah. more a bit more radar art and stuff in his uh, or Mac rather in his uh, his the this how how he's fallen in love with uh, Furness. But certainly like the first few scenes when you know when when uh, Danny and right and uh, Mac arrive at the <laughs> arrive at the hotel. <laughs> he's leaning out the window and stuff talking to them and then he's serving them breakfast and then they go next door to the lawyer and he's a lawyer <laughs> for the town. He's like, yeah, I'm some, sometimes I'm a taxi driver as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's not until you watch it maybe a second time you pick up on stuff like that. Like when he um, it is collecting their breakfast plates and he's like, oh, the accountant. Oh yeah, he lives, um, he's next door. Um, I can tell you for a fact he'll be in in about 15 minutes. And it, like when you watch it again, you <laughs> just pick up on that. Yeah. And then what's the, the whole point with the guy banging on the roof as well? That's another Bill Forsyth thing. And he tells him to stop. And then when he's away to shag Stella in yeah. the, um, in the, the office. office and, and they both take their shoes off and put them in the entry. And then he's like, okay, you could start again. Again, why? <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, for whatever reason, it just makes sense. You're like, well, of yeah. course they'd put their shoes on the entry. I, I don't know why it makes sense, but but it does, <laughs> you know. But yeah, I mean, and the thing watching Dennis Lost in this, obviously, it's 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 well known to all that he's uh, Hugh McGregor's uncle. But mm. and I don't know if this is just my mind playing uh, tricks on me, but he they sh- they seem to share quite a lot of the same mannerisms and even like the way they the way they sort of talk i mean maybe not so much uh, Dennis Lawson now but i mean imagine he was probably maybe in his early 30s or something like that when he did local hero i don't know i just i see i just as i say it could just be my mind playing tricks on me but i felt like i saw a little bit of, of oh. like a younger you mcgregor in in there oh, you know? i could see that uh, but he's very charismatic and does have yeah. some of the similar mannerisms um i mean yeah he's he's fantastic so what so why why do we think he's not um why do we think dennis lawson has never had the career that you know that a lot of other scottish actors have had i mean he's always been pretty much a supporting actor right? yeah but then he kind of strikes me as the type of person that can't be arsed with it like you know what i mean like (laughs) he does come across like his character like gordon can't really be arsed i'll do enough to get by but i can't be really he he's brilliant and in this film he is incredible like acting wise but i don't Mm -hmm. know i think he just kind of couldn't be arsed i know that sounds condescending in a way but i i genuinely think that's probably why I don't think I mean, it was because he because he could have been more famous if I think if he wanted to be, but he just was like ah happy enough doing what I'm doing. He's got he's got sixteen film credits and one, two, three, four of those are Star Wars movies where he you know he, he appears on camera a few times as one of the one of the X wing pilots. He's got a, a lot of TV going way back to like. Dr. Finley's casebook in 1969 mm. and then quite and quite a lot of theatre stuff as well. I mean the thing is I, I'd imagine as well back then you know I mean even now to some extent 
I don't think it's I don't think it's that easy for Scottish actors to become international leading men. You know, you got you McGregor is kind of modern times probably the most successful one. You go back a bit further, you've got Sean Connery, mm-hmm. um, who is like a movie star. Alex Norton, and he says this in his autobiography that I've just finished, and I can highly recommend. You know, he, for the longest time, he never really sought out lead parts. He was quite happy to to do like supporting roles in movies and films and stuff obviously he's he's the he's one of the leads in succession now do you, but, do you uh, mean um you you said alex norton but do you oh mean brian, brian cox. cox i mean brian <laughs> cox beg your pardon yep sorry brian cox i'm talking about not alex norton Jill I was Butler. Say, well, you said he's been a hollywood movie star it's like alex norton yeah. <laughs> i know he's top of the swally tally but <laughs> yeah which which is arguably even more prestigious. Yeah, Gerard Butler. Um, I would agree. I would say um, uh, James McAvoy is probably McAvoy. The, yeah, probably you know Richard kind of, yeah. Richard Madden is. You know, I mean, he. Yeah. I think he could go. He could go either way. I think if if they just if he if he got the Bond gig, which is which has been mentioned a few times. I mean, I don't find Richard Madden a particularly charismatic actor. If I'm quite honest no. with you. Um, he's a good actor, but I watched him in Bodyguard, the one with uh, yeah. Kiwi Hawes, which was quite good. Yeah, he was, was good. He was good in that, good. but it, I think he served his purpose in that, like kind of meant to be yeah. like a kind of robotic ex kind of army yeah. guy. Like, I don't think, I, I couldn't see him as Bond, like no. charismatic. Um, yeah, so like, but kind like, of going back to the, going back to like the early 80s, you only really had, I mean, this was, it was before Brian Cox did Hannibal Lecter and Manhunter. So really the only kind of internationally known Scottish actor that we really had, I think, was probably Sean Connery by probably, at, yeah. at this point, you know? So, I mean, I think it would be maybe harder for somebody like Dennis Lawson, even though the film, this film did amazingly well. I mean, it's got, it's one of the few films that's got a 100% approval rating on Rotten mm. Tomatoes. I think it was maybe just a bit harder to, you know, to, to, to kind of make that breakthrough. And I think that's the um, the thing as well, because obviously it's a, the studio kind of wanted a, I think they'd seen Gregory's Girl and that sort of feeling. And they, they kind of wanted to take Bill Forsyth's like Scottish take, but also make an American film. So it would be good for the American audiences. And I mm-hmm. think that's why maybe it kind of leapt that way. And I, I don't know, it kind of, it, it works in terms of the to an American audience, but also to a Scottish audience. So I think that's why it, it just made it so successful in a way, mm-hmm. like in terms of it just, it speaks to, to both parties. And I, I do wonder, like you have the the scenes with, with Happer and his therapist, like that's the one bit that is maybe slightly shoehorned in. However, yeah. they are, they are very funny, but I'm also like, does it, does it need this? But maybe it's just to show Happer's character. But why? He's Is he like a, a masochist? Like, does he like being abused? Like, what's well, the... It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be therapy, isn't it? It's well, supposed yeah, to be some it's kind of to abuse therapy. Yeah, but then why? Like, he's, he's given abusive phone calls whilst he's cooking scrambled eggs and stuff. Like, I, I don't... That's the one part of the film I'm kind of like, I could do without that. Like, it, it doesn't really need to be there. Yeah, I feel like it's... For for Scythe, perhaps sort of trying to show the accent the eccentricities of some of these like Rupert Murdoch type kind of modern eighties ugly art rich head of you know CEO type corporate guys and the kind of weird things they spend their money on perhaps mm. and it's a bit of a it's a bit of a comment and exaggeration of that maybe I agree I mean the, the very very last one <laughs> when the guys like spelling out motherfucker on the window <laughs> did make me laugh did 
made me laugh quite a lot and it's making me laugh now just even thinking back to it but you know I, I, I know what you mean like whenever is you know as amazing an actor as Burt Lancaster obviously was whenever the action kind of moves back to Texas I was you know I was always kind of in my mind kind of rushing it along so we could get back to Furness because I certainly felt that that's the that's yeah. where the most compelling elements of the story are you know so um, I think what he did uh, we've spoken a lot about Dennis Lawson but speak about Peter Rieger um, mm. so as as Mac so Michael Douglas was apparently desperate to play this role really yeah he got hold of the script and he got in touch with Bill Forsyth and he was like really he wanted to play the role of Mac. Right. Um, but Bill Forsyth had said, no, like I, I want Peter Regertz to play it. Like yeah. he genuinely wanted, he had in his mind, this is who he's playing this role. And then the studio got involved and they wanted Henry Winkler mm. to play it. And again, Bill was like, no, no, it's Peter Regertz. That's who is playing Mac. And, yep. you know, he nails it. I, I can imagine, you know, if you put Michael Douglas in there, but then 82, 83, like, is that, is it going to make it a bigger film? Like, if you've got Michael Douglas or Henry Winkler. But I think Regertz is, he's just perfect as Mac. Like, he's just so good. He looks like a young Dustin Hoffman, but also looks a bit like Miles Teller as well. Yeah, he does you, actually. Like, think, yeah. But he's, he's perfect. Just so, like, kind of unassuming. And you needed someone that wasn't like a big name to be in this film if you've got Burt Lancaster that's your big name yeah you need yeah. you need someone that's not like huge I mean Douglas at that point you know I mean I'm trying to think without looking him up so this is before Romancing the Stone I think I know he was on the streets of San Francisco the TV show in the 70s and obviously his father is Kurt Douglas uh, who was bizarre who ironically was a frequent co-star of Burt Lancaster's but you know, he he a lot a lot of what he'd done in the seventies was production. Like he produced One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The China Syndrome, and obviously starred and produced Romance in the Stone. So it wasn't it wasn't really until the mid eighties, sort of Wall Street Attraction and Wall Street that Douglas really became Michael Douglas, you know, like the incredibly famous Hollywood actor that that, that we know. But to your point, I think um, uh, Peter Reithart's performance in this film, because the thing is, like, like, we, like we said earlier on, there is so much kind of Bill Forsyth kind of humour. Some of it is perhaps a little bit on the Scottish side, maybe. You know what I mean? Um, but it's but he he seems completely aware of it as an actor. <laughs> You know what I mean, yeah. and 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 his part in it. I mean that line when he's talking up to Ucker and Stella when they're tra- when they arrive at the hotel, and he says we we have an injured rabbit also, but he says it like completely matter of factly. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we we need a room each. Should be here for a couple of days. Uh, we could do with some food. Yeah, we've got we've got an injured rabbit also. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's just <laughs> I think he's absolutely brilliant in it, and he seems to. Yeah. It just seems to have totally understood the assignment you know what i mean yeah. he knew ex- he knew exactly what he seemed to know the role really really well and you, and you can tell that especially by the end of the film you can tell he's having a fucking great time with all these other actors and stuff and being there what is it sorry to trouble you so early We'd like to check in and maybe eat something. A breakfast isn't till eight. Seven in the fishing season. It's not the fishing season. 
We check in anyway. We've been on the road all night. We have an injured rabbit also. His interaction with, as you said, like earlier, the the um, what was his name? The guy in the boat, um, Gideon, oh, Gideon um, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. guy that's painting the boat, and yeah, the Russian guy, Victor. Um, yeah. His interaction, but him and Peter Capaldi together, they're yeah. so just they bounce off each other. Like it's mm-hmm. so funny to watch the two of them. And yeah, you're right. He he's just perfect. I couldn't imagine Michael Douglas doing that role, yeah. like and being. Maybe as funny and as natural as yeah. um, he is, yeah. Because, but yeah, because, you know, someone like Michael Douglas, I I would imagine grew up in a, in a very wealthy background. You know, probably he grew up in Hollywood. His father was one of the most famous actors in the world for a while yeah. in the sort of 40s and 50s. Probably grew up in Beverly Hills and, and all that kind of thing. Whereas I'm, I'm making an assumption here, Peter Reithart probably came from much more reg, a much more regular kind of normal background so i think that helps him and i think probably douglas probably just wanted like eight weeks playing golf in scotland <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> getting probably, eight, yeah. eight, eight weeks of golf and getting paid for it <laughs> so to talk about peter capaldi and his character danny do we think that marina the mermaid fucked him off and he then became malcolm tucker <laughs> possibly <laughs> It's quite possible. Um, I could have, I could have done without that scene of him kissing her webbed feet. So Marina, she's a mermaid, obviously. Like that's the the implication. She yeah, is a mermaid yeah. because they say that she can hold her breath, and the, the whole point yeah. of Alex Norton when she could hold her lungs for a very long time. Yeah. She has webbed feet. She implicates she lives in the sea, and then there's a whole point where they're speaking about the sea lions, and um, yeah. they they said that they used to be mermaids. They were wrong. Like she's yeah, a mermaid, yeah. yeah, and that's the fantasy kind of land of local hero, and the fact that they effectively enter the village through fog, like they have to stop mm-hmm. before they yeah. enter because of the fog. So that's we're right. thinking that this this place is like a a fairy tale land. So they bring like it in. Yeah, it, exactly. Yeah. That is yeah. exactly. And I think that's what Bill Forsyth kind of based it on, Brigadoon. Like, mm-hmm. this is like a fairy tale land. You have to go into the fog and mermaids yeah. exist. And it, it, yeah, it's so special and wonderful, though. I think um, I think Peter Capaldi's one of these people who they have to sort of grow in to the way they look because as a young man, he's quite unusual looking, Peter Capaldi, <laughs> especially when he smiles. Um, he does a big broad smile and all that. I mean, you know, as as he's as he's gotten older, you know, he's become a lot more distinguished looking and stuff. But um, but I mean, I, but I think as the role of the kind of awkward, sort of gangly, occasionally hapless, um, but incredibly intelligent Danny, who speaks all these languages, and um, you know, and then <laughs> when when he arrives, he's basically got nothing to do. Danny has he? He's got nothing to do. Except, you know, try and find Marina on the coast and just sort of knock about for Ness, whereas Mac is kind of doing all the, certainly in the first kind of, towards the end of the first act, at least he's doing all the work, if you can call it work, um, trying to negotiate with Urquhart and nail things down. Here's a uh, wonderful fact for you. I know we covered this on episode two of The Culture Swally when we did Gregory's Girl, and uh, we said that the chip shop they go to is called Capaldi's because it was named after Peter Capaldi's 
Cousins father, or, or cousins, yeah, yeah that own yeah. the chip shop. So, and then Peter Capaldi is obviously in Local Hero. And in Comfort and Joy, Peter Capaldi's father was the ice cream consultant. So <laughs> Peter Capaldi has a link through the kind of Bill Forsyth trilogy of Gregory's Girl, yeah. Local Hero, Comfort and Joy. So <laughs> that's a little uh, Capaldi fact for you there. Yeah. I saw that on um, the Movie Connections program. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I feel like I might have known that. Did we talk about that when we did Comfort and Joy? I can't remember. I, I think we might have done. Um, I, I know Gregory's Girl, I definitely mentioned Capaldi's um, as the chip shop. And maybe Comfort and Joy, I might have mentioned that, um, yeah. Um, he was the ice cream consultant. Um, one thing I would say about Bill Forsyth's film as well, and it's something that is is very commendable. The women are always like kind of mysterious in a way. Mm. Like so, if you have um, like Gregory's girl Claire Grogan, for example, and even um, Comfort and Joy, um, Claire Grogan's character, she's very mysterious. Kind of you know, um, Bill Patterson's character is always kind of trying to hunt her down and find her. And you got Dee Hepburn in Gregory's Girl too. And yeah. in Comfort and Joy, you have got Marina and Stella. And they're both very yeah. mysterious, but very powerful women. And it's almost a, a great point of Bill Forsyth's filmmaking that these female characters are very powerful, heavy, kind of driven women, but mm-hmm. very mysterious in a way. Like very, like for early 80s, very kind of, yeah, I don't know what I'm looking for, the word I'm looking for, but, you know, foreshadowing kind of very powerful kind of mm-hmm. the way he's done that. Yeah, I mean, that's the, they all his all his female characters have got it over all the guys, you know what I yeah. mean? They, yeah. they have the guys figured out, you know, I mean, I think it's it sort of, I think Gregory's Girl is probably the best example of that and Claire Grogan's character and Gregory's Girl and the kind of, the way that the, the date is manipulated um, and all the, all, all the, all the girls that Gregory meets that night before he gets to Claire Grogan, they're all exactly as you describe, uh, very confident, very yeah. sure of themselves Um know exactly how to manipulate this this staff boy or this staff guy or whatever to get what they need to get what they want from them yeah yeah i mean you don't i can't really think of many other male writer directors that that portray women like that so consistently oh, you know especially in the early 80s as well mm. like it's yeah. a, a testament like it, and it's so beautiful to watch like they're they're so great um so who is the local hero who's the local hero in this film well, that's it. I mean, that's the kind of the sort of ambiguity of the whole film, isn't it? It's you know, they can, it can't be Mac because he's not a local. Mm. Is is Urquhart the local hero? Is but you know, is are are we are, are his motivations supposed to be admirable and noble, or is he he meant to be just another example of this sort of early eighties kind of greed? It's just you know, it can't it, it can't be Danny because he's not local either. It's really hard to tell. Who's your thoughts? I, I don't know. That was a genuine yeah. question. Who is local hero? Gideon, uh, probably. Gideon, maybe. Or, yeah. Um, yeah, Gideon, probably local. No, or I would is, say um, Ben, maybe. Ben, actually, yeah, you're right. Ben yeah. probably is local hero. Yeah, yeah, he would be. I mean, he kind of saves the day at the end, really. We never find out how he saves the day because, is it Forsyth said in that program you sent me that he couldn't think what 
Burt Lancaster's character and Fort Mackay's character would have to say to each other and how they would get to the resolution that he wanted to get to. So he would just have them in the shack and film everybody waiting about outside wondering what's going on and have them laughing occasionally and stuff, you know. <laughs> but then again, that's the the beautiful thing of Bill Forsyth. Like you have them in their shack and then you have Peter Capaldi's character running over and coming back and he's like, they want beef sandwiches, one with salt one with mustard like one with no salt like it's it's so funny and beautiful the way it's done yeah like but what what are they saying oh i don't know but they were laughing a lot did you enjoy and i I don't mind it's a bit of a a rhetorical question but did did you enjoy seeing the classic beer pumps and stuff in the bar the mccune's export mccune's lager pumps and well obviously we're we're coming on to uh the awards uh, when we're talking about pubs but yeah Yeah. i did like the the fact that they had um tenants lager mccune's lager and mccune export on draft um i thought that was a, a beautiful sight to behold in the pub but yeah, yeah, classic, a lovely little hotel bar. But they seem to um, have them on both sides because at one point you're speaking to them at one side of the bar and then the other time you're speaking to the other side and they also have like, so they've got like two tenants pumps mm-hmm. and two McEwen's export pumps. So if, it's a long, if it's a long enough fair. bar, you might need, you might, yeah. you know, long enough busy yeah, bar. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little hotel bar, but obviously he's got 42-year-old whiskey. So um, <laughs> it's a, a decent enough bar. Very specific 42-year-old. I did like that when Mac at the Cayley, um, they're speaking about the 42-year-old. He's like, oh, give me uh, five eight-year-olds and a five-year-old. Um, that Cayley, uh, we'll come on to this later with the awards. Um, no kilt at the Cayley. No, yeah. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah, a bit weird. Like, yeah. you'd think they'd have some kilts, surely. I mean, I, I don't I don't feel like there are many oversights in Bill Forsyth's films. You know, you t- I tend to feel like everything is by design. Yeah. But I can't think why he would make the choice not to have kilts. Being that, that you know, I didn't, I don't, I don't remember going to many Kayleys or any Kayleys in the early 80s because I was only like five when this movie came out. But maybe people weren't wearing kilts to formal occasions as much as as they as they do now maybe 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 there was like a a spate of masturbating kilt delivery men in scotland in the 1980s and it kind of put people off yeah possibly don't know um what do you um what do you think would have happened so towards the end of the film the local have their meeting and then ben gets fed and drunk and comes off so just before bart lancaster comes in on his chopper Right. Just before that, the locals are kind of going down to the beach. And do you think they were going to go and rough Ben up? No, like, I, th- I don't think so. Well, think what, it, what were they doing, though? Like, the, the, the maybe going Bart down to come maybe, maybe going down to confront him and try okay. and, you know, try and talk him out of, uh, you know, to try and talk him into, rather, uh, giving up his, his stretch of beach that he owned. Maybe. Okay. But then Bart comes in like Airwolf to save the day like but well so you think that we're just gonna have a, a chat with him to because yeah. ben's obviously like a a local kind of you know the local so good guy so like, a hermit isn't he he's at the Cayley. he's stuffing his pockets full of you know <laughs> yeah. sandwiches and stuff and cakes so he's obviously a oh, it's ben he's fine he's he's okay but mm-hmm. they were all kind of walking down there with menace. But yeah, yeah, I, I've got to say, I mean, I mean, I, they they used two locations for for Ness. They used famously they used Pennon in the northeast of Scotland, and then they used the beach at the league 
um, to kind of create the illusion of because Pennon is a port it doesn't have like a massive sandy beach and Malague Beach in that shot of the helicopter at first you know at first it's just the kind of light that you see before it becomes apparent it's a helicopter coming across the horizon you know and the colours of the you know the kind of early evening night sky what we sometimes call the gloaming in Scotland I mean it's you know I mean like, when you think about Forsyth's work a lot of it is you know sort of character study type stuff like Gregory's girl comfort and joy for example but you know the way he captures that time of the that time of the evening on the coast um and the helicopter coming in and all the villagers sort of silhouetted um and it's it's a brilliant brilliant shot yeah oh no it's beautiful beautiful in terms of the the helicopter coming in. And I think we we need to mention, obviously, the ending. And the ending was meant to be Mac back in his apartment in Houston. And that was it. And then the studio was like, no, we need to have a a happy ending. Like, kind of, Mm -hmm. as they said, like almost like, no, we need to go back there, get married, have a kid, like kind of thing. And Mm -hmm. as kind of a compromise, Bill Forsyth just has the, the phone booth ringing. And it's just perfect, that ending. It's so ambiguous, and that's the kind of thing I love in a film. When Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a film ending, just an ambiguous, you make your own mind up. Yeah, and in my mind, in my mind, it's Mac calling from Houston. Yeah, of course. Yeah, Yeah, of course it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's, and I think, you know, I'm glad that um, they put pressure on Forsyth because I think just him going back to Houston and sort of taking the shells out of his pocket and putting them in his breakfast bar and looking out the window at the kind of skyline of Houston and stuff, it, that'd be a real, I mean, the ending is, it's not quite a downer because of no. that phone call, but it is, it's, a, it's still a bit of a low ending even as it yeah. is, but having the the, the kind of iconic uh, phone box ringing the very last seconds of the film was it's like a perfect ending, actually. Yeah. You know? It's oh, really good. It's perfect. He's phoning in to check if they're okay and see who's there. Um, yeah. No, I think it's perfect. Beautiful, yeah. in a way. So they should have, instead of making Gregory's Two Girls, I think Versailles should have made a sequel to Local Hero where maybe Matt comes back sort of 15, 20 years later, and I don't, you know, maybe maybe the institute is sort of broken down, it's not working like it should be and stuff, and Matt comes back to try and get it back on an even keel and catches up with Dennis Lawson. And I like the idea that he's still running the pub and he's still the accountant, but he's got maybe like he's got like a Maserati parked outside because <laughs> he's got money from is <laughs> he's got money from the institute and you know what I mean and all that kind of thing. Um, it'd be more interesting to see what those characters were up to sort of 15, 20 years later than just what Gregory's up to. You know what I mean? And Gregory's two yeah, girls. True. Yeah, um, true. But, uh, we, but then it, it's best just leave it as it is, though. Yeah, I know. I mean, sometimes, but that's the thing, like sequels can sometimes, if they're, if it's not a good sequel, it can sometimes take the shine off off the, the film that, that preceded it. And, you know, like I think, I think Gregory's girl for a while, at least, you know, sort of took a little bit of uh, negative negativity from how Gregory's Two Girls was received. But I think everybody's sort of forgotten about Gregory's Two Girls now and Gregory's yeah. Girls back to where it to where it should be. Until we do it on the swally. Until we do it on the swally, yeah. Maybe our very, very last... If we decide to, to hang up our, our podcasting headphones, maybe our very, very, very last episode should be Gregory's Two Girls. <laughs> Go out with a whisper. Um... Okay, uh, Okay. so j- j- just before we go into the Swally Awards, tell me honestly, 
Have you been wandering around the house humming or whistling the local hero tune since you watched it? Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I have. Genuinely, uh, for the last few days, I've been whistling it. Yeah, <laughs> I can't help it, but it, it yeah, yeah, it's just tuning in my head. I'm whistling it. My dog's been like every ears pricking up. Like, what are you whistling that for? But yeah, yeah, I have been. You can't help it. Uh, I mean, obviously, did you know the um, the soundtrack made more money? than the film did i didn't know that but i can i can believe that because i think this was the age of i mean i think that this was the age of the beginning of the compact disc because and i think it was also it was a bit of a sweet spot for movie soundtracks where for some movies the soundtrack was as big a deal as the film sort of coming out you know what yeah, I mean? so the soundtrack to local hero made more money than the film did in box office yeah so yeah well wow. well there's ever this so it's a very very good soundtrack um and then apparently that uh, mark Knopfler used to play as a as a dire straits encore concert encore he would play uh he would play like one of the tunes from local hero apparently he still does plays mm. the um he plays going home um as his last song when he's right. doing a concert and um newcastle united they play that um as the team comes out really how did i not yeah, know that they play, yeah they've done oh. that for years they play the um because um martin is from newcastle that's right yeah yeah they play going home when they're the team runs out well there you go there you go fun fact <laughs> Okay, so we'll put this. We'll put local hero through our Swally Awards. A few of the awards uh, are a bit redundant uh, this week. Yeah, yeah they are. Yeah, I'll lead in with the one that very much uh, isn't isn't redundant, and that would be the Bobby the Barman Award for the best pub. Well, pub. you have uh, <laughs> uh, you've got uh, Tenants and McEwen's on draft. You've got a forty-two year old whiskey, and you've got Dave Anderson as a barfly. So yeah. without a doubt, I I would genuinely love to go for a pint in that bar. Well, we can perhaps next summer if our trip to Scotland comes off because it's the ship oh. in and Banff used oh, for the wow. interior bar scenes. Oh, okay. Oh wow. So, okay. So Jesus, that would be amazing. Yeah, we could yeah. do. Then yeah, let's do that. Yeah, yep. I'd love to go for a pint there. Yeah. Yep. We could do Pennon, where uh, which doubles for Furness. Yeah. And then we could. It's just a. Not too long a drive through to Banff. Can have a pint of McEwen's Lager or Tenants or both even. Um, if we can get our wives to drive <laughs> um, at the at the famous ship in. Wonderful. Okay. So we can't do the Hugh McGregor Award for gratuitous nudity for there is none. Well, well, you got Peter Capaldi in the bath. You get to see his nipples. Does okay. that count? Well, you, why not? If if it was if it was Marina's nipples, you would count it. So I think it's only fair. You okay. count male nudity, so we've got Peter Capaldi in the bath as he's testing how long he can hold this breath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so the James Cosmo Award for appearing in every Scottish production. I've whittled it down to two. You've mentioned one already. Yeah, I've got two. I can't believe how young Jonathan Watson looks yeah, in this yeah, film he does. And, and we think like a year later he does City Lights and he looks so much older. Yeah. But looks like how he does. Um, yeah, it's Jonathan Watson or Alex Norton for me. Oh, uh, I, had Dave, I, had, I had Dave Anderson or Alex Norton. Oh, Dave Anderson, of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I'm I'm moustacheless Dave Anderson. Which, yeah. Which, which, um, which threw me a bit uh, until I wasn't, I thought it was him. Could, 
you and could I wasn't pick sure. any of the any of the three: uh, mm. Dave Anderson, Alex Norton. It, it has to be Alex Norton, though. He's got more yeah. lines, and he does. Yeah, but he appears looking like a young Phil Collins, Phil Collins. out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> the Jake McQuillan award for your T-Zoot I gave this to Trudy the Rabbit because there's <laughs> for getting hit by the car because there's no um, there's no like violence is there between the actors I've I've genuinely got none for this so we'll give it to um, Trudy getting a scalpin from the car I, I've got none for this next one uh, the Francis Begbie award for gratuitous swearing because the little bits of bad language aren't particularly gratuitous um, I've got two for this um, so I've got the two G's in bugger off Are you sure there are two L's in dollar Gideon? Yes And are there two G's in bugger off? Right. Or I, I have got, which we also mentioned earlier, and it genuinely made me stop the watching because I laughed so much, <laughs> is the Harper is a motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. like, but he doesn't spell it out. But it, it yeah, it, it just made me laugh. You know what's coming. So, um, yeah, that won it for me. Next one, the archetypal Scottish moment. Um, I gave it to the Cayley because... It's very particular to our way of life. I gave it to the Cayley initially, and then oh. after watching the documentary um, that I sent you, I gave it to the gloaming, which yeah, I thought yeah. was a... Uh, That's much better. It is quite a Scottish thing on the beach, just the yeah. the sunset and yeah, mm-hmm. so the gloaming, I gave it to that. Um, and then the last award, uh, the Sean Connery Award, uh, who won the movie? Would you say this was the one award I I really debated about? Mm-hmm. Um, I I wanted to give it to Peter Capaldi. Oh, really? He's so funny, but I have to give it to. Dennis. I gave it to Reidhart. I just thought he was brilliant in it. Really? Yeah. I just I don't oh, okay. know. Okay. Really liked him, but. Uh, oh no! I was between Capaldi and Lawson, but um, really, Reidhart. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's we, he's brilliant, but oh come on, what Dennis Lawson is? He's amazing in this film. He is. Like, I'm not saying he isn't at all. I mean, I, and I was swithering between the two of them um, for sure. But, uh, but yeah, okay. we'll go with the Dennis Lawson. I'm sure Reidart won't. I'm sure he won't. I'm sure he won't mind. <laughs> There's less chance of bumping into Reidart in uh, than like Glasgow City Centre. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? True. Yeah, very true. Actually. Um, okay. All right. Look, so just 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 before we kind of we sort of finish up on local hero, I just want to go through the locations. Because there's a lot of locations mm. that they use for this film. Like a surprise, yeah. and I'm just going to mention the Scottish locations, right? So you've got Arsaig in the Highland. There's the ship in, in, in Banff that, I, that we spoke about a few minutes ago that they used for the interior bar shots. There's the Ben Nevis Distillery in Fort William. There's, uh, let me try and say this properly, Camastarach Sands, um, Fort William. There is Loch Eli, Lochaber. Uh, Loch Aliort, Loch Tarf at Fort Augustus, Malague and Moidart and then um, for the shop I'd never heard of this place in Aberdeenshire which is mad considering I lived there for quite a long time the Pole of Itlaw which is the village shop mm. so must be a wee village or something um, a wee one you know in north east of Scotland there's these tiny little villages but it's only like sort of three houses yeah. <laughs> maybe a farm or something yeah never heard of that yeah so local hero I really enjoyed that 
and I'm going to try and persuade my family to watch it at some point. Okay. <clears throat> well, look, I, I'll look forward to um, hearing if you do get your family to watch that, and we can see what they think. And what ends? Your lovely wife couldn't be persuaded to watch it. Um, no, she does want to watch it. Right. So. We'll uh, maybe try over the next week or so. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'll convince her to watch it, yeah. Um, so, it was supposed to be your choice this week, but you didn't really get to choose anything because we decided a while ago that we'd do Local Hero for the 50th episode, which means episode 51 is your choice. So, what are we talking about next time? Well, Greg, I would like to go from one Local Hero to another Local Hero. Okay. But we're not going to a beautiful picturesque place in Furness. We're off to meet the local hero of Govan and we're going back to 1990 as we look at the first series of Rab C. Nesbitt. Oh, brilliant. Well, that's excellent, yeah. <laughs> so, if any of our listeners want to watch the first series of Rab C. Nesbitt, it's available on YouTube and you can watch it before we speak about it next week. Excellent. Okay, yeah. I look forward to that. I've not watched that for maybe since it was on. <laughs> <laughs> years ago. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, you can follow us at Culture Swally Pod, or you can follow us on Twitter at Swally Pod. And if you have anything that you've seen in the news that you'd like us to talk about, or if you've got anything you'd like us to review, or anything in particular Scottish, or if you just want to get in touch and say hello, then please feel free. You can drop us a line on cultureswally at gmail.com. And uh, similarly, if you um, feel free to give us a little rating, review, subscription, on iTunes or tell your friends anything that you can help to help the podcast grow would be greatly appreciated. So those of you who have been with us for a while, and I'm thinking I'm thinking about you, Henry, uh, may remember that last year we had a website for a while uh, before I fell out with Bluehost and their technical support team. So I can tell you that work has begun on a new website, website 2.0. Um, the platform that I've chosen to use, uh, which rhymes with bear pace, is not quite as easy to use and intuitive as uh, Bluehost, but I'm learning all about it. So hopefully we'll have something up uh, on there that we can uh, we can put links to the episodes on and links to some of our favourite stories and maybe some... Uh, some additional information about some of the stuff that we've covered in the Swally over the last two years. Okay, wonderful. Well, we'll look forward to seeing that uploaded very soon. All right, if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy. I have a proposition for you, Gordon. I know I may be a bit tipsy, but I want you to consider this seriously, okay? Okay. Okay. I want to swap with you everything. I want to stay here, run the hotel, do little bits of business. You can go to Houston, take the Porsche, the house, the job. It's a good life there, Gordon. I pull down 80,000 a year. Plus, I have over 50,000 in mixed securities. I want you to have it all. There's nothing due on the car, it's pure ownership. And I won't let down your good name here, Gordon. I'll make a good Gordon, Gordon. What do you say, pal? <laughs>